please turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 21, verses 8. Verse 8. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And to the people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Each Lord's Day we have a 6 p.m. worship service. We believe it's another opportunity for us to be together and sing praises and study God's Word and pray and honor God and have fellowship with others. I hope you'll want to come back tonight at 6 to be a part of our assembly. We're going to talk about something important tonight. When Jesus prayed for us, that's an amazing thought that the Lord would pray for us, but he did. We hope you'll come back. Recently, I had an opportunity to speak for the church in Katy on their Wednesday night summer series. And the theme of their summer series was unusual, at least to me it was unusual. I've been a part of a lot of different summer series over the years. But in this particular series, all the speakers have been assigned the same thing, the same topic, as you will. And that topic is, if I had only one sermon left to preach. I have to admit that in the past 53 years, there have probably been a lot of people who have wished that I had only one sermon left to preach. I've disappointed them. My first thought when I got that assignment was to preach on heaven. A number of years ago, a preacher friend of mine wrote in a church bulletin something that impressed me. I copied it down, put it in the back of a binder that sits on my desk. It goes like this. If I had it in my power, I would like more than anything else in my preaching to cause listeners to want to go to heaven. In fact, more than anything else in life to go to heaven. It, that's what every preacher ought to desire. To, that his preaching helps people want to go to heaven. And so that was a very appealing idea to me to preach on heaven. But I'm sort of a cynic sometimes or a pessimist. And I got to thinking, what if everybody else preaches on heaven? After all, I was the seventh guy on the list. And if six others before me had preached on heaven, I didn't know if I could say anything. They hadn't already said. Incidentally, when I got to Katie, nobody had preached on heaven. I, I worked a long time on that sermon, and I took the assignment seriously. A friend once told me, if a sermon is good enough to preach once, it's probably good enough to preach again. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I, I, after a lot of thought and going back and forth, I finally decided that if I really had only one sermon left to preach, and I knew that, 
It might be a sermon based on Jeremiah 21, verse 8. You heard Sam read it a moment ago. Let me read it again. The words of God. Now you shall say this to the people. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Why would I choose that particular verse for a sermon? Maybe the last sermon that I got to preach. I would do so because it deals with a matter of supreme consequence. Choosing between life and death. That's, that's an important choice. I would do so because it calls for personal responsibility in making that choice. Each of us has to choose life or death. I would do so because of my conviction that none of us can avoid making that choice. I can't pass that off. I have to choose one or the other. I would do so because of the certainty that that person's choice would help determine his eternal destiny, heaven or hell. And I would do so because it would clearly be God's message, not mine. 1 Peter 4.11 warns, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. In just a moment or two, I want to focus on what is set out in Jeremiah 21. We're going to see hopefully what it mean, what it meant in Jeremiah's day and what it means to us today. My sermon would have just three points. And here they are. First of all, let's think about choices. Choices. We love them, don't we? We love to have choices. And we have plenty of them. Suppose you go to your favorite grocery store and you want to buy a box of cereal. And you turn on that cereal aisle and wow, there they are. I went on the internet and did a search of walmart.com and checked cereals. I stopped counting at 175. It's a lot of choices. That's just cereal. What about cars? You don't like Ford? Buy a Chevrolet. You don't like a Chevrolet? Buy a Toyota. You have all kinds of choices. Televisions, not only what brand of TV, who provides a service for TV, and yes, 200 channels, even though only five of them are worth watching. You have lots of choices. Cell phones, what kind you have, who provides the service, what kind of plan you have, radio stations. Some of us used to drive some distance across the country, and we kept losing radio stations. We'd have to wait till we got close to a major city. Just put Sirius in your car and you can listen to the same station all the way across the country. And you'll have a 99 other choices. S several years ago, a new work of fiction was being published in the United States every 30 seconds. A film festival in Toronto showed 300 films in 10 days. You'd be pretty bleary-eyed if you watched 30 films a day. And here's the most amazing thing to me. Not the most important, but the most amazing. 
Someone wrote that Amazon sells 1,161 kinds of toilet brushes. I can't verify that. I don't want to. Why do I mention all of that? Perhaps to remind us that we are spoiled by having so many choices. Don't deny it, please. We are spoiled by having so many choices in so many different things. I remind you maybe because research has been done that shows too many choices are not best for us, but they make us unhappy and actually frustrated. I mentioned about the toilet brushes. A woman wrote that article. And she said that she spent one evening considerable time looking at those different toilet brushes and reading reviews about them. And the next day, she went to a small nearby store and bought the only toilet brush they sold. Choices didn't necessarily make her happy. They frustrated her. But the real reason I mention this is that the idea of the abundance of choices is I want to warn you that God is not like Amazon. Please don't mistake God for Amazon. He is not Amazon. And we need to understand how God really feels about choices. Here's what we find. There is clear and conclusive evidence from the scriptures that God does not complicate the most important decisions that we have to make in spiritual matters. He does not. When it comes to indifferent matters, God is willing to let us do what we want. I'm convinced God doesn't care what you name your children or what style of house you live in or what kind of car you drive, what kind of cell phone you have. Those things are not right and wrong in themselves. But in spiritual matters of consequence, God is not a multiple-choice God. Now, you want proof of that? Let's take a few minutes. Take your Bible that I hope you have with you or in front of you and look at Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Are we there? Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Here's two choices. Now, one of those choices involved you having a liberty to have a lot of different choices, and the other choice was no. This or that. Look at Genesis 4. Genesis 4 tells us that God was, did not have respect for Cain or his offering. And when you come down to verse 6, and Cain, of course, got angry about that, God says to him, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Two choices. Do right, do wrong. 
Look at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy 11, beginning verse 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I commanded you uh, today to go after other gods which you have not known. God or idols. That's the choice. Look at Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, beginning at verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you are, which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Turn to the next book, the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Familiar words. Joshua stands before his people in this final chapter and says at verse 15, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day, whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now come to the New Testament. Let's start with Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Beginning verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Look at chapter 7. Again, familiar words. Verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Look at Matthew 12. Matthew 12 and verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And then just one more. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8. 
and verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I don't know how many other statements there are in the Bible that set forth that God in serious matters is either a this or that God, one way or the other God. We should not be surprised that Jeremiah 21 verse 8 involves a choice between two things, life and death. Now let's think about the choice in Jeremiah 21. In order to do that, we need to set the scene. The year is 588 B.C. King Zedekiah of Judah has made a serious, foolish mistake. He has defied the powerful king of Babylonia who has already conquered his nation by refusing to pay the annual imposed tribute on his country. I don't know what he was thinking. But he just was stubborn. And now the powerful Babylonian army is surrounding Jerusalem and the Jews are trapped in it. Will help come from some other source or nation? Wishful thinking. And, and Zedekiah, the wicked king, in some sense of thinking he might accomplish something, sends messengers to the prophet Jeremiah. And he wants to know if possibly God will help them. The response is not what he wants to hear. Because Jeremiah says of Zedekiah, there's no hope for you. And incidentally, later Zedekiah, the last thing he would see with his eyes was his sons being killed before his own eyes were put out. So for Zedekiah, there is no hope. But Jeremiah turns at the direction of God to give a message to the rest of his people. And here it is, Jeremiah 21, beginning verse 8. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live, and his life shall be as a prize to him. For I have set my face against the city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given in the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Is that simple enough? Life or death? Or is it simple enough? Because you see, to choose life would mean that you would have to accept the word of Jeremiah as it was, in fact, a thus saith the Lord. It, it, would it would be a recognition that this is God's message to us. But we know from reading the Old Testament that God's messengers were often ignored by the Jews. Keep your place at Jeremiah 21, if you will, but look at Jeremiah 44 for just a second. Jeremiah 44. Verses 4 and 5, this is God speaking. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, 
Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to hear, to turn from their wickedness, to burn no incense to other gods. You see, this is going to contradict what human logic might tell them. You mean to tell me that I save my life by giving myself in surrender to the Babylonians? That's how I saved my life? That didn't seem logical to me. We've got walls around the city. We're going to be protected here. Logic says I'll just stay right where I am. It, it would take bold action to believe the message of Jeremiah. And what was their decision? Well, if you read 2 Kings 25 and 2 Chronicles 36, you find that most of them didn't make the right choice. They starved. They were killed. And many of them were deported to Babylonian captivity. No one now can doubt the choice they should have made. The choice should have been go home, Pick up whatever things you can, gather your family, and get out of the city while you can. Were there some who thought, that's too drastic? Were, were there some who thought, maybe God will change his mind? Yeah, I know he said this, but maybe he doesn't really mean it. He did. You wonder if they didn't miss the point completely. This wasn't just about going or staying as far as Jerusalem was concerned, this is a matter of life or death. Finally, let's think about the choice today. I think it would be really easy to criticize the short-sightedness of these Jews. They were short-sighted. Yet looking around us at some of our friends and neighbors and relatives, we see the same mistake. Hopefully we do not see it in ourselves. You see, God's message today is still, I set before you the way of life and death. Now you can be certain of this, God is not indifferent about your choice. God is not saying, I don't care what you decide. He does care. Remember Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 we read earlier, that powerful statement, therefore choose life. That's God's desire. God wants to save you. He wants you to choose the way of life that leads to eternal life. And He's given us plenty of help so that we might make the right choice. His Word shows His desire to save us. The golden text of the Bible, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's love. God so loved the world, loved you, loved me, that He sent His Son. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is His desire. When Jesus came to live among us, He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That obedience to God brings a life of joy, a life of inward peace, a life of sweet fellowship with those who made the same choice to honor God. Choosing life will give you confidence for your future. 
we understand how Paul could say, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Paul could talk about a crown laid up for him in heaven because of his confidence that God would honor his word. Today you have a right to choose. Nobody can take it away from you. And you will choose. You will choose life or death. We plead with you today. Choose life. Don't, don't make that terrible, eternal mistake that will cost you more than you could ever calculate if you choose death. Don't do it. Choose life. And if we can help you to find that life, that is our desire. You're not going to find life apart from Christ. He is the life. And so you must put your faith in Him as the Son of God, your only possible hope for salvation. And based upon that belief, make the determination no longer to live in sin and for sin, but to live a life for God in repentance. Confess His name. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. And walk in newness of life that leads to eternal life. If you're a Christian and you chose life, but you made the unfortunate, terrible choice to turn your back on that life, come back. Let us pray with you and for you. If you need to come, do it while we stand and sing.